Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Great to have back with us from Baseball America, J.J. Cooper. J.J., how have you been? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. You're probably still debating every move that was made in the Braves-Dodgers game last night. That probably could get us through the rest of the offseason. That was crazy. And the thing I can't come away from that series is, is the Braves are up 2-0. The Braves are in the driver's seat right now, especially when you look at the Dodgers pitching and how it lines up. That said, it's amazing to me that the Dodgers have had way more base runners and way more opportunities. It's just that the Braves seemingly have brought in almost every little one of the very few opportunities they've had, and the Dodgers keep squandering their chances to score. There could be several big innings that they have just left, basically, uh, on the table. Which is remarkable. And something else that the Dodgers do, which is goes counter to analytics, when they steal bases, they get the bag, and they do steal bases at times. They're, they are stealing them at a rate I don't think we've seen in the playoffs in years. They're doing an excellent job of it, but they're also then leaving those guys or standing at second base when uh, when the next batter strikes out and usually swinging over a, uh, a low pitch, it seems like. This is also going to be on display in the Red Sox-Astros series, for example, because the Red Sox late will go to Garrett Whitlock. Whitlock is a Rule 5. He had been with the Yankees. They got him in Rule 5. Look, it's not a lock to do any of this, Rule 5, but how productive can that be if you're smart with your approach? This year's an unusual year for it because it's coming off of a season where there was no minor league season. So that added another level of uncertainty compared to normal. Garrett Whitlock is a perfect example of what that uncertainty kind of unlocked. He had been injured. So, if you're the Yankees, you knew you had a guy who was pretty talented, but you didn't know how healthy he was because he hadn't really pitched. He wasn't an outside guy for them last year. If you're the Red Sox when they drafted him, you just know that he's back throwing and all, but you're really taking a little bit of a chance. That created the opportunity to get a guy who, if we'd had a normal season, maybe he'd have gotten the throw late in the season, had shown what it was, you know, what he had. Akil Badu is another example of that. A guy who, you know, hadn't had upper-level minor league experience, went out and had success in his uh, debut year as a Rule 5 year. This was one of the best Rule 5 classes of the 21st century, and I can't help but think that the, uh, the lost 2020 minor league season played a part in that. Minor League Baseball, which has been dramatically underpaid and there have been housing issues, has probably lost great prospects. You can tell me if I'm wrong about that. Probably has lost some great prospects over time because they just couldn't afford to keep doing it. What can the housing concession made by Major League Baseball maybe mean to keeping some of those prospects in the game and then possibly getting to the majors? This is a very big deal for minor league players. Um, If you think about it, there's a lot of things that happen in baseball, especially minor league baseball. And if you say, why does it happen that way? The best answer is, is because that's the way it's always been. And I think housing was always one of those situations. So for housing, it has always been generally, it has been, there are a couple of teams that started to do differently, but generally it has been the responsibility of the player to acquire housing. Well, the tricky part of that is, is if I'm a minor league player, 
and you send me to Loe, Dunedin, Florida to start the season, and I have to get an apartment there. Well, usually, you're most places, they want a six-month lease. Well, right. I'm a player. I signed that lease and I have a choice. By the way, they usually also want a security deposit. They want to do a credit check. Also, if you're a player and you're making $1,000 a month, you know you may even have trouble qualifying for it. But let's say you do. Well, there's no guarantee you're going to spend the season in Dunedin. You hope you don't. You hope at some point they promote you. So let's say down the road they promote you to high A, Lansing, Michigan, or whatever. Well, you may have that lease in Dunedin, but now you're in Lansing, and there's no provision to break that lease. So you're probably going to end up trying to get another player to sublet your, your room, but you're still going to be the one on the lease. It's still going to be your security deposit, your credit report that gets dinged if the players who are still in that apartment don't pay their rent. You could end up being in Lansing for a while, find a place there, do the same old process again, and then be promoted again. Say you're in New Hampshire later in the year. Well, right. every time you go, you're having to find a new place. That's your responsibility. What this is now going to do is say, no, 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 that's the major league team's responsibility. It's going to put a lot of money back in the pockets of these players, which basically are, we're generally often spending almost all of their paycheck on housing in many places before. But the other thing, like you said, that it's going to do is there are players with this who will look at it and say, because I'm not going broke or going into debt to, pay, to play during the season, I'll now give it another year. Whereas before, some of them would have said, I'm starting a family, I'm getting married, whatever it is, I gotta give up this dream. Now they're gonna keep with it, and some of those players are gonna end up being big leaguers because players develop at different rates. JJ, minor league players are not uh, with the union. They don't get to the union until they actually get to the big leagues themselves. On November 30th, we all know that they're going to hit the impasse and Major League Baseball, the collective bargaining agreement, will run out. If there is a lockout, would minor league players be locked out or would the minor leagues still be allowed to play? No, they still play. Uh, if you go back to the yep. well, if you go back to the 90s, there was, you know, when we had the lockout in 94, 95, minor leagues just rolled on because they're not part of the union. So they're not affected by in that case, what goes on the major league level, with the exception of players who are on the major league 40-man roster. So there would be some minor leaguers affected, but the vast right. majority of them, no. They just keep playing as before. Exactly. Okay. I knew the answer, but I'd rather have you confirm it. Uh, next. Uh, the Atlantic League experimented, and, of course, they're not officially – Associated with Major League Baseball, yeah. but they're partner. They've got an office in Park Avenue. The whole deal. So in the last month of the season, I guess they moved the mound back to sixty-one feet six inches. The bases are bigger and a robo ump. Any word on how they felt those experiments went? Now let me say they've had robo umps now going back to twenty nineteen at the Atlantic League. So that was they've been keeping that going for a while. The moving the mound back though was new. It did make a big difference. I don't think we will see that go forward much because it didn't make that much of a difference. Why make such a massive change, cause all this uproar if you don't see a whole lot of impact from it? But I will say this for that. That's a utility. I'm sure that some people hear that and go, how stupid was it they did it and nothing really changed? But I've been hearing from fans and others for years saying, 
you know what we need to do? We need to move back the mound. Pitchers throw harder right. now, so we need to move it back. Well, now we can say, you know what? They tried that. It didn't make a whole lot of difference. Yeah, pitches did take a little longer to get to the home plate from 61 and a half feet. At the same time, breaking balls broke a little bit more. Because of that, it kind of seems like it all came out in the wash. Hitters had no much more advantage of hitting versus pitchers than they did at 60 feet 6 inches. If that's the case, then that's an experiment that we probably shelved. Other experiments, bigger bases that they've done, that's probably going to stick around. Because why? It doesn't make a big impact. It doesn't make a whole lot of difference. But it does offer a slight amount of injury help because, especially at first base, now there's more room for a first baseman to put their foot while a runner's base runner running down the line is going to put their foot yeah. on the base. You hopefully avoid a little bit of collisions, a little bit of tripping instance, things like that. So it's one of those minor changes that I will tell you, I've been at games with the bigger bases. If a fan can spot it, they are a really astute fan because you really just don't notice the difference. Wilmer Flores uh, check swing to end the Giants-Dodgers wild card game. Uh, you and I both know it's a check swing. It's the definition of one. It's the wrong call, regardless. Robo-Ump doesn't pick that up and would have called it a ball. Uh, how do they feel about Robo-Ump uh, at the major league level? The umpires union's against it, but how do they feel about it? Well, okay, one thing is the Robo-Umps right now, as it stands, that would still be the umpire's call. The right. robo-umps only call the strike zone itself. Swing, not swing determinations is made right now as the mechanics go by the umpire. But robo-umps right now, the answer I would say is, is the mechanics of it have largely been worked out. I've been at games in 2019 and in 2021 that were using robo-umps in the Atlantic League in 2019, in the minor leagues, in the low way Southeast League in 2021. It's subtle to where you barely notice the difference. The umpire, the home plate umpire has an earpiece. He hears very quickly. He or she hears ball, strike, and they call it. You don't notice a much difference. That said, there's a problem that's still being worked out, which is what exact strike zone should you call? The problem we've seen is, and we've used this right now in the lower levels of the minors, the strike zone that an umpire calls varies based on situation. That's not an altogether bad thing. If a game's 10 to 2, the umpire will make a bigger strike zone so we don't stay there all night watching guys walk, right? If a guy doesn't have it and the game's out of hand, they're going to have a bigger strike zone. The robo-umps don't know that. The robo-ump looks at it and says, that's a ball. And so the game's 10 to 2, the bases are loaded, he calls ball 1, ball 2, ball 3, ball 4. But those are things that you actually, if you wanted to program, you could. You could say, if, if a team is down by 10 runs or more, make the strike zone bigger. There are things you could do. I just don't know if anyone wants to really actually write down some of these unwritten rules that have been part of the game. I know we had a limited time with you. I appreciate the time we always have with you, JJ. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.